0: Haunted UK Podcast is recorded and mixed in stereo. Listening through an environment such as stereo speakers or headphones will ensure you get the best experience. Let me quickly tell you about our official podcast sponsor, CDS Print and Design. CDS is a family-run company who offer great prices and great products such as printed T-shirts, hoodies, canvases, coasters, placemats, stickers banners, signage, and much, much more. For more information or for a free no-obligation quote, email Colin or Debbie at cdsprintanddesign at gmail.com. You can also find CDS Print and Design on Facebook and Instagram. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that the Haunted UK podcast is now on coffee. If you love the show and want more content... Such as bite-sized bonus episodes, horror and paranormal movie reviews, chances to get your hands on exclusive haunted UK podcast merchandise courtesy of CDs Print and Design, as well as a free haunted UK podcast sticker and much more. Then get yourself over to Coffee and sign up to donate just three pounds per month. That's K O F I and search for the Haunted UK Podcast Coffee. Why not buy us one? This is Season 2 of the Haunted UK Podcast. In this season, we're going to cast our net far and wide to tell stories of UFOs, unsolved mysteries, strange creatures, unexplained disappearances, as well as further tales of ghosts, poltergeists and haunted locations. But before we dive in, why not make a note to listen to the following great podcast... Hi, I'm Kristen. And I'm Jennifer. And we're the hosts of Haunted or Hoax, a paranormal investigation podcast where we investigate the legends and history, not just the ghosts. Our locations range from houses down in Savannah, Georgia, murder houses in the Midwest, to hotels in West Virginia. Additionally, we get together and go on ghost tours and bring the legends and history to you. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss the legends, history, and experiences from Haunted Locations. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Bye. After nine episodes and a delay because of COVID, we're finally here. The season two finale and listener stories. All I can say is a huge thank you to all of you that have listened, followed, and donated to the show via Coffee. And to the ones who have sent in listener stories, you've really outdone yourselves this time. You're all the amazing people that make this show possible. And I truly can't thank you all enough for sticking with the Haunted UK podcast. ...and making it an amazing experience to write, produce, record and distribute every episode. And just to let you all in on some information... ...Season 3 is already written and we have more amazing tales to tell. So keep listening. Now due to the amazing response from all of you who have sent in listener stories... ...I've had to split this episode up into two volumes. So just like Stranger Things 4... This is volume one, and volume two will be coming very soon. We're going to kick this season finale off with an experience which was sent in by Mark Wilson. He writes I listened to a recent podcast, 9th of October 2021, and I heard the narrator say that you were looking for experiences which could be explained as paranormal, or at least could link to the history of a palace which may be haunted. I have a story from when I was 11 years old. I had just started secondary school, it was October 1983 and was during school half-term, so fairly close to this part of the month we are in now. I was fascinated by London history, plus almost everything to do with it, and I was always wanting to visit London from when I had been even younger, probably from the age of 8. Primary school lessons on the Great Plague and Great Fire had ignited interests in the city, and I always liked looking at the churches of Sir Christopher Wren and those not lost in the Great Fire. Interests which continue to this very day. My parents would take me on visits to London from our home in the West Midlands, sometimes on the train, sometimes by car. We'd go around four or five times a year. This time, I was to go with my mum on the train, as my dad was at work and could not get the time off. We set off on the train from Wolverhampton. I had looked at a book on London churches and said that I wanted to go to about three that I'd not visited before. One was St. James' Garlic It's in Upper Thames Street, at the bottom of Garlic Hill. There was a landing stage and vegetable market there in the Middle Ages, which is where it gets its suffix from. One thing I knew about the building was the mummy kept in a glass case inside the church porch. It's apparently of a teenage boy or a young man in his 20s. It now rests in the bell tower, not for public gaze. We approached the door to go in. On the low rise of steps leading to the bell tower and main entry, there was a prayer on the left of the entry inscripted on a board. I can't remember all of it, But it ended with, pray be prepared to join me, or something to that end. This also matched the inscription on the mummy's case, as I understood it from reading up on this later. As we walked onto the steps, I was overcome by a very odd feeling. There was a sense of danger and dread. I could not go in and got very scared. As we walked away, my mum said she also experienced similar feelings. And also did not want to go inside. This was odd and I couldn't explain it, even though I had heard the church was haunted. I didn't believe in ghosts, and I don't really now, although my mum has said she's witnessed sounds, etc. I'm an empiricist, but there was something odd there that day. Unexplainable maybe. Perhaps there was forethought. Sometime before this October visit, I had also learnt about haunted London and ghost stories from a book I would have borrowed from the library. Around this time, and it may have been the summer of 1983, I recall having J.A. Brooks' book, The Ghosts of London, East End and the City. I was also fairly knowledgeable about the churches by this time. There were several stories regarding hauntings in this church, recorded in the book, and these are easy to Google. I always read a lot, especially about my own interests. Maybe this was a trigger for the feelings and experience I had in St. James Church. Talking of St. James, there are plenty of ghost stories and legends associated with London's city churches as you allude to. Christ Church Newgate Street, formerly a Franciscan Greyfriars friary, now ruined after Luftwaffe bombs, but a nice garden created in the walls of the church, has several ghostly tales linked to it. One is particularly interesting. Queen Isabella, She-Wolf of France, was buried there in 1209 and a murderer, Alice Hungerford, was buried in the churchyard after being hanged at Tyburn in 1523. She reportedly poisoned her husband. These two are rumoured to have fought in the churchyard. There are also ghostly bells linked to St. Andrew by the wardrobe. I think there are also some stories too at St. Brides, and St. Bartholomew the Great, once a medieval priory dating back to 1123, which is haunted by its founder, Rahir, a monk. A quick Google search will also drag up a few others. In terms of my own family, My mum reckoned she heard a sigh at the home where my late great-uncle lived, on the Utrea estate. She went to check on the bungalow one evening, as he lived alone after the passing of his mother, my great-nan, and continued to live in the same home. There was an outer door, then one inside a porch, and it was supposedly when she walked in through the porch she heard it from the bedroom my nan used to sleep in, which was opposite the front door, the home being a narrow bungalow. My mom thought it would have been her, even though she'd been dead for around 30 odd years by the time she reported this, which was around 12 years back from memory. On my father's side of the family, the house he grew up in was sold off to an estate agent for a ridiculously low price as my dad hadn't been transferred to his will. Someone else moved in and the agent made a tidy profit. However, the lady who lived in it around 10 years ago used to attend the GP surgery my mother worked in as a receptionist. My mum told us one evening that there'd been some strange happenings in the house, pictures always askew in the morning, even though they were not at night, and funny noises reported to her. My mum, again, thought it was my nan, who died when I was 18 months old. Probably a rational explanation for these occurrences. Another story that comes to mind is of a friend who lived nearby in Tapster Lane. Her daughter had a couple of horses. She claimed that the horses used to get very nervous when going through the Bushwood area and one of them would not even go through the lane with the woodland. My friend also claimed to have seen the ghost of a young boy dressed in 16th or 17th century peasant's clothes just off Tapster Lane at the bottom of her driveway which backed onto fields. She claimed he was smiling and looked like he was singing. At the time, he was in the field when he suddenly vaulted the fence, walked over the driveway, and then quickly disappeared. Well, I think you'll all agree that these are fascinating stories. And I especially like the way you offer balance of rational explanations. But to have two people have the exact same feelings, at the exact same time, in the exact same location, is very special in my eyes. Thank you so much for sending these accounts into the show. And also, thank you for the follow-up email with suggestions regarding a special for November the 5th. But I'm thinking of including this content in a Halloween special. We'll have to wait and see. Again, thanks so much, Mark. And please keep in touch with the show. Our next set of stories come from Samantha Ingram. All the way from Perth, Australia. I always find it fascinating that this little podcast reaches the ears of people all over the world. Samantha writes Hi, I found your podcast and have listened to all the episodes in the last week as I've been off work. I have a few different experiences that could be deemed as unexplained or ghostly, some in England and some in Australia, where I am now living and have been since 1979, when I came here as a child. I'll start with my experiences in England. My aunt and uncle had a farm in North Yorkshire, the house being approximately 250 years old. Ever since I was a baby, we used to visit there and I can always remember as a young child, I was always uneasy and felt like someone was watching me. And in certain areas of the house the feeling was worse. I definitely heard footsteps, running, walking along the very long corridor on the second floor when there was nobody there at all. One time my sister and I were sitting in the lounge room. I was about 10 and my sister was about 7 and I was writing out a postcard to my friend in London. It was a quiet Sunday morning and everyone was still in bed except my uncle who had gone to feed the animals. There was a big, heavy oak sideboard along one wall with two very large, heavy books on the edge of it. Right in front of us both, they just slid and fell off by themselves. And at the exact same time, a musical statue started playing by itself. This statue was on the other side of the room on the mantelpiece and made the sound of a wind-up music box. I was calm, but did feel freaked out inside. I was sure it was my grandmother that had passed away in that house. My mum came downstairs and went to open the door. The books were in the way that had fallen off, so she picked them up and was not surprised when I told her. Later on, when I was in Australia, I was 20 and had left home. I had a kind of premonition. I had written to my good friend in London and had not heard from her, so I wrote again but had a funny feeling that something was wrong. A couple of months later, I received a letter with very formal handwriting on the envelope, and as soon as I saw it, I knew it was bad news. I even said out loud, Dawn's dead. I tore it open, and the first sentence was that my friend had indeed died. It was a mutual friend that had written to me, and I almost passed out with the shock that I was right. This news affected me badly at the time, as life was not going that great anyway. And with that news on top, I began to fall into depression, but didn't know what that was and didn't seek help. I used to have vivid dreams with my friend in them, looking very sad, but also physically looking really, really awful because she had drowned out at sea. This incident was in the news in the UK as RAF helicopters were involved in the search for her. So this is what she looked like in my dream, and not how I remembered her, which was really disturbing. After a couple of years of this, with dreams every now and then, and me thinking about her, I actually decided that maybe I was seeing her in my dreams, because I was holding on to her memory, and was sad about that. So I think I said something out loud like, You were a wonderful friend, and so caring, and we had great times together, and I want you to go now and be at peace. And I actually felt like a weight had lifted off me and she has not been in my dreams at all for years. As with all of the listeners who write into the show, I replied and thanked Samantha for the story and asked that if she wanted to send accounts of other experiences in, then to please do so. And Samantha didn't disappoint. So here's more. Samantha continues. With just about every episode I've listened to, it reminds me of things, so I have jotted notes down. There are a few different things, but where to start? I think I've always been in tune with this stuff, and like some people, just seem to pick things up. Most of the time, it's just a feeling. I like to talk about the paranormal with people, but I find that you can't really talk to just about anyone about this stuff. I'm sure you know what I mean. Most people think I'm a bit nuts and go quiet, so it's nice to listen to podcasts about the experiences of others and to have an outlet. I've listened to a few different ones over the last six months, such as Uncanny and The Battersea Poltergeist on BBC Sounds, as well as a couple of American ones which someone told me about or others which I found through searching. I've always gone to the paranormal section in libraries and have a few books on ghosts. I have a feeling that this in-tune type thing seems to run in families. My sister has seen and heard stuff, and my ex-husband and my kids. My auntie at the farm said a few times that I reminded her of a great aunt that used to do readings for wives whose husbands had died in mining accidents in Northumberland. They went to her to try and contact them. But I don't do anything like that though. A couple of times I had known that someone has died and particularly one lady who I felt sure had come back to say goodbye. I was washing up and thinking of her at the time of her funeral. I didn't even know her that well. She was a mum whose kids went to the same school as mine, and I had a vision of her in my head almost like a dream. It felt like at the same time she was behind me, but when I turned around, no one was there. It was a very strong feeling. My ex-husband was also pretty psychic and saw things, but didn't like talking about them. Occasionally though, he would become so freaked out by some experiences that he would blurt something out and I would try to get more info, but he would clam up. He told me that when he was in Cubs in Sydney, they were doing some sort of activity outside and a few of them saw a cigar-shaped object in the sky. It was apparently there for like a minute or so and then flew away incredibly fast still on the subject of my ex-husband a few times he had a bad reoccurring dream he woke me up and was talking and seemed upset i would ask him what the dream was about and he said he was a soldier in the vietnam war and was on a beach when he died i think he mentioned that he was shot and he said he went out of his body and was looking down at himself lying on the beach but he wasn't looking down at himself it was someone else So maybe this could be likened to reincarnation. It really freaked him out, but he didn't want to talk about it anymore. That's all I got out of him. Incidentally, he was born in 1966 when the Vietnam War was on. I was also told a UFO story by my parents. When I was a small child, we were living on a US Air Force base as my dad worked as a civilian in air traffic control. This was also at the time of the Vietnam War, so about 1968. I recall my parents telling me of a story that two guards at the base were found unconscious outside one of the buildings they were guarding. And there was a depression in the ground or grass flattened in the area right next to them. I don't recall any explanation being given for this incident. Getting back onto the subject of ghosts, I did a ghost tour once in Perth. Whilst I was really scared, I felt that I wanted to do it at the same time. It was a friend who talked me into it, and it was at a building that is now an art centre, but it was originally an asylum. We walked around in the dark with a great storyteller who held a lantern. In one particular room, I felt someone jab me in the arm, but there was no one near enough to do it. I had a vision in my mind's eye that identified it as a little old lady, but I don't know why. The feeling reminded me of a static electric shock and felt like a finger poking me. It's called Fremantle Art Centre and is supposedly one of the most haunted places in Australia. In another experience, I went for a walk in a national park with my friend and there was an old disused railway tunnel that you could walk through. I knew something unseen was in there. I just had a feeling and it was freaking me out. I just wanted to get out of there quick. After we had made it out, I saw a plaque talking about an accident where a train had derailed and a number of people had been killed. Afterwards, I found out that it was supposed to be very haunted. The old jail here is freaky too. I did a tour of it in the day, and that was bad enough, but they also do night ones as well. It was built by convicts, so there was lots of suffering that took place there. I just felt like someone was there and they were wanting to push me off the stairs. It was a horrible, horrible feeling. A huge thank you, Samantha, for sending all of these stories into the show. A massive variety of events happening here such as ghost sightings, poltergeist encounters, lucid dreaming, premonitions and even psychic incidents and UFO cases. I'm hoping to get more stories from Samantha for our Season 3 finale. There are so many people out there whose professions bring them into contact with death, sometimes on a daily basis. Doctors, nurses, ambulance staff, funeral directors, police, fire service. These are just a few, so to get a story from one of these people is quite simply amazing. But we don't have just one story. We have two. The second one will be part of Listener Stories Volume 2, but this first one was sent in by a palliative care team nurse. She wishes to remain anonymous, obviously because of her profession and her work colleagues, so we'll call her Susan. Also, any other names mentioned have been changed to protect the identities of those involved. Susan writes... As you can imagine, being part of palliative care, you get to see all types of people from all walks of life coming to the end of their time. We always try to make this process, apologies for how this may come across, as pain free and as comfortable as possible. And whilst that isn't always the case, in my experience throughout my time working in palliative care, the vast majority of patients pass away peacefully. But you're not just dealing with the huge aspect of an individual's life coming to an end. You're also dealing with their loved ones. You make connections and also try to help them begin to come to terms with what is about to happen, whether that is in a few weeks or days or in a matter of a few hours. It's a very strange experience and people deal with it in different ways. I'd be lying to you if I said that I'd never left a family and had a good cry. Sometimes you do get attached. Sometimes it's unavoidable. I've known a few people who've had paranormal experiences, all of them in the healthcare sector, but I'd never had anything unusual happen to me until I met Doris and her family. Doris had been fighting cancer for a while, but unfortunately her battle was coming to a close. As you'll understand, I won't be mentioning the type of cancer or any other details which could risk identifying Doris, her family or myself. She was a lovely woman with a wicked sense of humour who didn't want to go into a hospice at all. She wanted to stay at home, surrounded by her family and that's what was agreed. When the time finally came, it was quiet and peaceful and Doris was asleep and comfortable. Her family were all there and they were just so welcoming, polite, down to earth and also funny. In their time of pain, loss and heartbreak, humour played a big part in getting through the initial shock. I can remember dropping in to see how her husband Alex was doing a few weeks after the funeral. I didn't live far away and I was passing at the time. I rang the doorbell and Alex answered and gave me a big hug. He welcomed me in and led me into the dining room at the back of the house. Doris's pride and joy was her garden, and you could see it in all of its glory through the patio doors. Alex jokingly commented that the duty of gardening now fell onto him, as he was never keen before of doing the work, but still loved sitting outside in the sunshine with Doris. He then asked if I wanted a drink, so I said I'd have a quick coffee and then be on my way, so he wandered off into the kitchen. We were still chatting away when, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something move in the garden and disappear behind the shed, which was located around halfway down the right-hand side. There was also a greenhouse there, so I assumed that there was either a visitor here or there was an intruder outside. I didn't remember Alex mentioning anything about someone else being here with him, As I stared out of the window to try and see who could be out there, Doris appeared from the greenhouse. She looked beautiful, full of colour and a picture of health. I couldn't register at first what I was actually looking at until she turned to me, smiled and waved, then walked to the rear of the garden where there was a screen of bushes which enclosed the seating area and disappeared. I know this sounds completely mad, but she was as solid as you or me. None of this partial, transparent ghost stuff. She looked real. I blinked a few times, but she was definitely gone. And I was left sat in her house, totally gobsmacked, but not afraid or frightened in any way, shape or form. Alex came back into the dining room with our drinks and saw the look on my face. I didn't have to say anything. He knew he just knew and gave me a warm smile. We never spoke about it over our coffee and I left the house around 20 minutes later, still unsure if what I'd seen was real or just my imagination playing tricks with me. But then I thought of what Alex said when he mentioned the gardening. He said he still loved sitting outside with Doris. I'll never forget this experience. But I'll also never forget the feeling of peace that washed over me after I'd left the house. Had I been lucky enough to witness Doris coming back to be with her husband in their beloved garden? Or was it all simply down to my imagination and my own personal connection with her and her family? I've binge listened to all of your episodes after I found your podcast and love every single one of them. The werewolf episode scared me to bits, and I found the Carmen episode absolutely fascinating. I hope that this story makes it into the Listener Stories episode, and please, please, please keep up the great work. All the best, Susan. Thank you so much for sending this story in, Susan, and thank you for the kind words. It's simply amazing to hear stories of experiences witnessed by people who work so closely to those who are on their final journey. And when I received your story, I was completely in awe. Whether it was your mind playing tricks on you or you did indeed see Doris in her garden on that day doesn't matter. Your experience, the effects it had on you and the help you gave to Doris and her family are the things that really matter. Thank you again for sending this into the show. Next up is a story which has been sent in by Claire Milton and involves the vision of a man which appeared shortly after the loss of a beloved pet dog. Claire writes I must have been between 8 or 10 years old when my mum's dog, Katie, which was a border collie, had to be put to sleep. I remember that we'd had tea and were sat watching TV or something when I had been told Katie had been taken to the vets. So when I heard my dad pull up into the car porch, I ran out to him. I said that Katie was in hospital, and he told me that he knew and that Katie had to be put to sleep. I had absolutely no idea and was very distressed by this news, as I was incredibly attached to Katie and loved her so much. I ran into the kitchen and proceeded to ask why I hadn't been told, as I felt that I had a right to know. I then went out to the back garden and sat on the bench. I wouldn't talk to my mum or even turn around to look at her. I must have sat there for a while but to me it felt like hours until my mum told me to come in as it was time for bed. I went in but still wouldn't speak to her and went up. I woke up the following morning and made my way downstairs and stood in the doorway leading to the back garden from the kitchen and there, right in front of me stood a man of coloured skin ...in full-length blue denim dungarees. The sun was shining brightly, but it didn't feel hot or cold. I couldn't believe my eyes. There he was, stood there with a bright silver wheelbarrow. He didn't say anything at all, but just smiled at me. I closed my eyes three times, and yet he was still there. I closed them for a fourth time, rubbed them, and then opened them again, and this time he was gone... I didn't feel scared of him at all and I've always wanted to find out who he was as I feel he wanted his descendants to know that though he may have been a slave, the feeling I got was that he was very cared for and educated. Also, I feel he lived maybe sometime in the 18th or 19th century. This all happened in Matson, where my mum still lives. I had many experiences with the paranormal there for six years which was how long I lived with them. I love the podcast. So please keep the episodes coming. I listen to them to and from work. This was a story that completely intrigued me when I first read it. And it still does now. To help me try and understand what this sighting could mean, I asked my good friend Carly, who is the Village Tarot Witch on Instagram, and was also a co-presenter on the brilliant Haunted Housewives podcast, which is sadly no longer running, ...what her opinion was with regards to this apparition's appearance. She informed me that this spirit definitely appeared to give comfort and reassurance because of the circumstances. And even though Carly cannot see her own spirit guide, she can only feel its presence. That doesn't mean that if this is Claire's spirit guide, it couldn't make itself seen. Carly also described a feeling of ancestral vibes which I found interesting... So if you believe in the possibilities of spirit guides or not, this story is still extremely fascinating. And to Carly Anterra of the Haunted Housewives podcast. If you ever want to come back and release a special or another series, you've definitely got a lot of supporters and fans. Thanks again, Carly, for your help and insight into this story. Next up is a brief account of a haunting in Illinois from a paranormal investigation group who actually caught what they felt was credible evidence to support some of the strange goings-on at the McPike Mansion. Laney and Don write, We are Spectrowaves, a paranormal research team out of Chicago, Illinois. In August of 2018, we investigated the McPike Mansion in Alton, Illinois, USA where we obtained evidence of disembodied horses walking on cobblestones. This evidence was also corroborated with another paranormal investigation team and was then reinforced yet again when in 2019 the popular program Ghost Adventures investigated the McPike Mansion and captured the same phenomenon. This is a very rare occurrence when it happens, as you well know. We obtained this evidence by using scientific tools, capturing it on both audio and videotape. We have included a YouTube link explaining this rare phenomenon. We thought you would be interested in our story, as we like to educate the public with the corroborating evidence. This started from being inside McPike Mansion, when one of the team members saw out of the front door glass of the mansion a red streak and a white streak, After seeing that, she alerted the other team members, thinking it was just someone trespassing. We opened the door and looked out because of some equipment we had laying on the porch outside the mansion. She was worried that someone was going towards the equipment, but no one was anywhere in sight besides spectrowaves. Soon after, one of the team members asked another, ''Do you hear that?'' To which she replied, ''Yes.'' It sounds like horses walking on cobblestones. Both of us heard the disembodied horses walking on these cobblestones with our own ears, as well as capturing an audio recording on a video camera. This was late at night, with no horses anywhere, no one close by, nowhere there was cobblestones either. We look forward to hearing what you all think. Lainey and Don, Spectrowaves. The YouTube link for this evidence is attached in the show's notes for this episode, so please give it a watch and also follow the Spectrawaves Waves channel. After you've listened to the evidence, why not drop me your opinions via email or on the Haunted UK podcast's Instagram account? I'd be very interested to hear what you all think. Thanks again to the Spectral Waves team for sending in this story. Before we continue, here's a message from another great podcast. Hey, I'm Shan. And I'm Troy. And we are going on a little murder road trip. Where every Sunday we take you to a new state alphabetically to tell you the story of murder, spooks, and everything in between. Yes, join us every Sunday for bad jokes, murder, and ghosts. It doesn't get much better than that. So grab your snackies, get on in, and we're going to go on a murder road trip. And now. It's back to the show. We now move on to a UFO sighting sent in by Carl Marshall, which took place in the late 70s in the Bartley Green area of Birmingham. Carl's story is as follows Thank you for your excellent haunted UK podcast. Some of the episodes being local to me makes them really interesting. I learned several new reports about Dudley Castle, although, interestingly, you didn't mention the reports of a large, black, bear-like, dark shape. I wanted to share with you something that happened to me in, I think, 1977 or 1978. I have to confess that I am not an unbiased person with regard to supernatural issues. I have experienced strange things in a number of houses in which I've lived, particularly this one although these have now largely subsided i accept that something happens i'm not sure what it is whether it is stone tape recordings or the spirits of the dead or dimensional crossover some of it may be imagination but some of it remains largely unexplainable what happened to me in 1977 or 78 I will look at the moon phases for that November and try to establish the exact date and come back to you, was not supernatural, however. I think that it was on the 17th of November, and I was 17 or 18 years old. We lived on Clapgate Lane in Bartley Green, Birmingham, B32. This is a moderately busy road lined with modern houses built in 1968. The night was very crisp, clear, lit by a full moon, which is significant and very cold. My mother was coming home from work on the bus and I knew that she would be carrying bags of shopping so I walked down to meet her at the bus stop. Before I reached the bus stop at the end of the lane there was a patch of open ground to my right. On the other side of that, Jiggins Lane and beyond that, Sennellies Park. The large dark open sky above the park was studded with stars And I stopped as I saw a light moving in the far distance almost as far as the horizon looking directly east. I saw the light traveling towards the full moon which was in the middle of my field of vision directly above the park. It grew brighter and was far too high to be a plane. It behaved like a satellite and moved in the same linear way. In about two minutes, it had reached the moon and appeared to orbit the moon from top to bottom, keeping equidistant from it. I can't remember how long that took. Not long, though no, Before heading back east on the same track, but slightly lower now. It faded back into the distance from where did it had come from. I was stunned and puzzled. I was so stunned I didn't say anything to my mother. I listened to the local and national news that night on the hour, every hour, and looked through newspapers for the next couple of days. There was absolutely no report of it whatsoever. Everyone on this side of the earth must have seen it. Observatories, casual walkers, people just looking up at the sky, but clearly no one had seen it. Did I imagine it? I know that I didn't dream it, and I've never taken any substances in my life that may have clouded my perception it certainly wasn't an optical illusion. It was too clear and too definite. This has puzzled me to this day. Now, I am familiar with the idea of dimensional crossover, and I wonder whether that was one I experienced. Anyway, I thought you might be interested, or that you might want to share this with other podcasters more into this type of phenomenon, or whatever you might call it. Kind regards, Carl Marshall, Birmingham. I really have to thank you, Carl, for including so much detail in this sighting. I have absolutely no idea what this object could have been, but it definitely sounds like it was under some sort of control. But does that mean it's of extraterrestrial origin? Who knows? It's also very strange that there was no coverage of the sighting of the object in the local or national news. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to send in this amazing story and I hope to receive more stories from you in the near future. Our next story comes courtesy of Pete, who tells us some of the many incidents which have occurred at a haunted place of work. And these are really fascinating. In 2003, I transferred to a different branch of the organisation that I work for. As manager, an obvious part of my role was being a key holder and part of this meant being on call to react to alarm activations. Early one morning, I was woken at about 3am by my mobile phone ringing. It was the alarm company telling me that there had been an activation and requested that I attend to meet police on site. I arrived about 15 minutes later to find the police leaving and telling me that they'd had a look around and all looked fine. I went in and had a look around and could find no reason for the alarm going off. Unfortunately, this was prior to remote reset days, so you had to wait on site for an engineer to attend and reset the whole system. I called the alarm company and requested an engineer, then settled down with yesterday's paper and a cup of coffee for however long it was going to take. About 10 minutes later, I heard loud, clear footsteps coming down towards the office. I couldn't believe it. What a result, I thought. He's here already. I shouted, I'm in here, mate, and the footsteps stopped. Nobody appeared. I thought the engineer had probably been here before and had gone straight to the control panel, so I headed down there. No sign of anyone. So I thought maybe he'd return to his van for his tools or something, so I went outside. No engineer, no van, and a closed gate. That's bloody odd, I thought, and went back to phone the alarm company to ask if the engineer had attended and gone again or what was going on. I was told that unfortunately he was delayed in Southampton, which was about two hours away. I said there's no point in me waiting around here. Please get him to call when he's about 30 minutes away and I'll come back. As I was wondering what had happened, a door down the corridor slammed loudly. Oh Christ, there's somebody in here, I thought. I armed myself with a hammer. Yes, silly I know, but if it's them or me, then it was that or the newspaper. Again, no sign of anybody and there's no way out without passing me or via a locked and alarmed fire exit. I went home and went back to bed to wait for the call. It was about 4am by now. No sooner had I nodded off than the phone rang, the engineer saying he'll be there in about half an hour. So I re-attended, the alarm was reset. I signed the engineer's worksheet, left a note for my assistant manager saying that I've gone home for a kip and I'll be in at about 9 o'clock. When I went back, the assistant manager came into the office and shut the door behind him. The exchange went as follows. I see you were called out last night. Yeah, bloody thing. False alarm, apparently. I'm not so sure. Did you, uh, hear anything? What do you mean? Like what? Um, footsteps, doors opening and closing. Oh, why do you ask? Because there's something in here. I've heard it loads of times. Now this guy had been there 20 years by then. I told him what had happened and he said he wasn't surprised and said that he'd been spooked by it at first, but had got used to it. We never mentioned it again as I asked him to keep it to himself. I didn't need an outbreak of hysteria or horseplay involving sheets with eye holes cut out. Unfortunately, he had to leave through ill health and then the cycle started afresh. While I was away on holiday, my new assistant manager was called out and was so spooked he fled the premises without calling the engineer and sat outside in his car until colleagues arrived hours later. Over the next few years, the ghost, if that's what it was, seemed to extend its hours of activity, making ever more frequent visits during the day. By now, it had been christened Spectre On one occasion, I was holding a staff meeting out in the showroom when the two members of staff sitting at the right-hand end of the row of chairs turned simultaneously and looked down towards the door and turned back looking surprised. After the meeting, I asked both separately what they were looking at and they both said they heard footsteps. On another memorable occasion, my assistant and I were in the office after hours banking the day's takings when he shrieked and flew across the room towards me saying, ''Did you hear that?'' ''Hear what?'' I said. ''Something's tapping on that door.'' There's a pair of glazed doors leading to the showroom. Then I heard it too. A tapping on the glass. I went over there to investigate, much to his distress. I tapped a pound coin on the glass and it sounded identical to what we'd heard. I went back over the other side and the tapping started again. I noticed that it only tapped when we weren't looking at the doors. As soon as we looked up, it stopped. Looked down at the counter and the tapping started again. We were the only two on the premises and the doors were locked as was policy when banking up. This was enough for him. I found out later he wouldn't stay on the premises on his own for anything. I was banking up one evening and one of the warehousemen was loitering about and I guessed that he had something he wanted to tell me without the others being there. He was guarding me from the ghost in return for a lift home as this was the standing arrangement with my colleague. I said I was happy to give him a lift home if he wanted one but I didn't need babysitting. I told him, don't worry about me. I talked to it, but unfortunately it hasn't answered me yet. I could tell from his face that he thought I was weird. Anyway, there were dozens of incidents over the years, all hours of the day and night. But to finish, one of my favourite occasions involved the chap that had been there decades and was basically part of the furniture. If he was about when anyone mentioned any paranormal incident, he'd say, what a load of rubbish. Anyway, one day he appeared, leaning on my office doorframe, looking pale, clammy and ill. I said, wow, you look awful. Do you need to go home? He said, no, I, th- I think I just encountered the spectre. I told him to sit down before he fell down and tell me what had happened. He said he'd been coming down the stairs to the door that always opened and slammed on its own when he heard a -a rat-a-tat-tat, rat-a-tat-tat rhythmical knocking behind the door. He pulled open the door and was confronted by a cling-wrapped pallet of stock with the top of the wrapping jumping up and down in time with the knocking. I said, that's fantastic, what happened next? He said, I don't bloody know. I didn't hang around to find out. I still work for the company, although not exclusively at that location. But I understand Spectre still does his or her rounds and I'll always wonder who or what it is. Thanks so much for sending this in, Pete. I can remember when I first read this email and I was completely blown away by the sheer amount of solid events produced by this entity and also by the amount of witnesses that experienced its activity. A fantastic story which I'm so grateful that you took your time to send into the show. Thank you once again, and if you have any more, there's always the Season 3 finale. Way back on the 2nd of July 2021, I released Episode 3 of Season 1 of the Haunted UK podcast. This particular episode dealt with one of the most haunted villages in the whole of the UK, Pluckley. This episode was a great success, and I've been so pleased with the feedback which I've had from it, But imagine my surprise when I received an email from a person who actually lives there. This person didn't want to be named in case of any comeback from other residents of the village, and I fully respect that. We all have to remember that when we visit a haunted location, especially when it's somewhere that people live or work, we must be mindful of how we conduct ourselves. After all, we can just go home afterwards. Others can't. The writer states, I have just listened to your podcast on our village and I can confirm that the village is very haunted. I have never seen the white lady or the highwayman, but I have had lamps turn themselves off, lights flicker and then stop, and even when I've called an electrician out to take a look at the problem, they can find nothing wrong with them at all. My hair was stroked in one bedroom and my two cats regularly play, chasing things that aren't there but both of them seem to be seeing exactly the same thing. Sometimes one of them even growls at whatever they are seeing. My friend at her house has had items thrown across the room and has even seen apparitions. One of the personal rooms above the black horse apparently has an evil feeling in it and the door slams to shut you in so tenants just don't use it. Some people have never seen anything, but a lot have. It's become quite taboo. The village was damaged on Halloween and Screaming Woods still has idiots who camp there and light fires despite the fact that we have a dormouse population there. Even within the village, people have known each other for years without sharing experiences. Possibly because they think they might be seen as mad. I would say that approximately 50% of residents I have spoken to have had experiences, but people just accept it one of the more famous ghosts that someone I know has seen is the phantom carriage and I have heard the hooves but not seen any horses on the road but certainly as I said the village is very haunted the black horse in particular has poltergeist activity that so many villagers and a landlady has told me about all of it harmless like tables laid up for dinner suddenly emptied with chairs on them but as soon as people turn back again it's back as it should be There have been apparitions in the cellar too, and glasses that slide down the glass shelf only to lean over the edge, then stopped by an unseen hand. There is an apparition of a little boy that has been seen by my friend in her house, which isn't any of the famous ghosts, so we don't know who he is. I lived several places before here, but never had any experiences anywhere else. I would love your opinion, or the opinion of the listeners. ...of why some places seem to attract spirits and others don't. Pluckley is a very small village and one with a great vibe. Definitely not scary or evil. Yet it seems to have its fair share of ghosts hanging around. I would be grateful if you could remind your listeners to treat haunted places with respect because the locals used to be very open with their experiences until the police had to attend at Halloween because of the amount of bad behavior from alleged ghost hunters. Now, people don't share their experiences and I think that's a shame. We get so many TV companies and shows approaching the village for information and the villagers ignore them because they don't want to go back to the bad old days. Please keep making the great content I'm enjoying it so much. Thank you so much again for sending this into the show. And I really hope that visitors, ghost hunters, paranormal investigators will treat Pluckley and its residents a little better than in the past. And while it may only be a minority of people, it's this minority that everyone remembers. Our last story from this first volume comes from Melissa Oliveri. Melissa is an extremely talented woman who not only writes, produces and publishes her own podcast called The Skylark Bell, but she is also a gifted singer, songwriter and multi-instrumentalist. You may have heard a promo for The Skylark Bell podcast on a previous episode, and I highly recommend it to everyone. It's a serialised podcast based on the books which Melissa has written. If you enjoy something a little creepy, with a hint of mystery and also a dash of sci-fi, then the Skylark Bell is an unmissable treat. Melissa was incredibly kind enough to send this story over, which features in one of her Phantom Friday episodes, but this version is much more in-depth and detailed. Melissa writes, The moment my hand touched the door handle of the Harlequin nightclub, I knew something was wrong. Someone has died. The thought popped into my mind unbidden. I have no idea where it came from, but it was clear as day. I pulled on the handle only to find the door to be locked tight. It was a Tuesday night in January, typically not a busy time for the bar to be open, but it was always open nonetheless, and I was fully expecting to march up the stairway beyond the door to see my friend Alan's smiling face behind the bar. I was standing outside, in the frigid Quebec City winter, with a handful of friends now wondering what we should do. After a brief discussion, we decided to trek through the snow to a different neighbourhood haunt. We enjoyed a few drinks on the main floor of the Formie Atomique, French for the Atomic Ant, chatting and laughing, but the heavy feeling in the pit of my stomach stayed with me the entire night. As we were about to leave, I decided to head to the lower level where a friend of mine was DJing. He was between songs, so I went to say hello and ask if he knew why the Harlequin Club was closed. A sombre look washed over his face and he told me Alan, my bartender friend from the Harlequin, had taken his life the night before. I can still recall the ringing in my ears. A swirl of thoughts entered my mind. Then, a specific memory came back to haunt me. Three nights prior, I had been at the Harlequin. It was a bustling Saturday night, and Alan was racing to keep up with orders. I had just gotten a new job, and was excited to share the good news with him, because he knew I was struggling at my previous job. I shouted to him over the music and loud chatter, and he grinned at me and congratulated me, then held up a finger and said, Give me a minute. I waited a brief moment, but he was so busy, and it was so loud, and I needed to get home. So I left. I distinctly remember thinking, I'll see him tomorrow. But for him, there was no tomorrow. He was found the next morning by an unfortunate soul, hanging from a decorative wrought iron archway that spanned over a set of exterior stairs leading from Quebec City's lower town to upper town. My next thoughts flew to two events that occurred within a week of each other about two years before when I was still living at home with my parents. We lived out in the country and one night we were driving home from town down the long dark country road. It was approximately a 30 minute drive and I was sitting quietly in the back seat. We were going to stop at a family friend's house to grab my house key which I had left there after going on a horse ride with her the day before. As we were nearing the turn to go to her house, I had a sudden thought of, I'm going to die. Completely out of nowhere. I sat up in the back seat and looked out of the window at the pitch black fields and forests all around. Where had that thought come from? I shook off the eerie feeling the thought had brought on as we pulled up to our friend's house my parents told me to run to the back door and grab the key while they waited in the car since it was so late and we all just wanted to get home i knocked on the door and the tearful woman opened it and handed me my key i asked her what was wrong and she told me her husband had just died his body was still in the field behind the house and she was waiting for the authorities to come Of course, I was shaken not only by the news, her husband was a lovely man, but by the strange thought that had entered my mind just a few minutes prior. I'm going to die. Was that his last thought? Did he know it was happening as he lay in the field watching the darkening sky above? About one week later, as I was riding the bus to school, I suddenly had the same thought. I'm going to die. I remember the sinking feeling in my stomach and hoping against hope that it was just a coincidence, that I was imagining things, and also that it wasn't me that was going to die. The rest of the bus ride felt interminable. Finally, I got to school and went to my first class of the day, theatre. The teacher was a funny, expressive, kind man, and I always looked forward to his class. On this day, however... I walked into his classroom to find him very sombre and quiet. Once all the students had arrived, he sat us in a circle and informed us that the father of one of our classmates had taken his life the night before. Three premonitions about three sudden deaths. I don't know why the thought entering my mind was I'm going to die only to find out someone else had died. I don't pretend to know how these things work, but in each instance there was a feeling, for lack of a better word, that came with the thought. A very different feeling from daydreaming or imagination. It was a sudden, definite, unquestionable knowing, followed by deep-seated dread that was both psychological and physical. There was only one other somewhat similar instance where I was sitting in the passenger seat of a car going through a busy intersection. As we waited at the stoplight, I saw a man walking on the sidewalk and out of the blue thought, he's going to die. The thought was once again accompanied by that unshakable knowing. He was a younger man. I didn't know him. I have no idea what happened to him perhaps he's now in his 50s or 60s and living a happy life but based on my other three experiences i'm not so sure i often wonder if i was with someone and out of nowhere a similar thought came to me would i tell them should i tell them what would you do A huge thank you to you Melissa for sending in this amazing account of what seems to be a gift, or curse, of the ability to predict the future of certain events. It seems that when these feelings begin to boil to the surface, some sort of phenomenon is taking place. Could this be a case of some type of force, which we're not yet aware of, which enables you to dip into a parallel dimension and somehow draw emotional detail from it? This detail is then converted into those feelings which you encounter when the message, I'm going to die, comes through. On the other hand, it could be quite simply down to coincidence. But three premonitions and three exact outcomes are a little difficult to maybe put down to solely coincidence. But what do you think? Well, this is where we're going to bring this first volume to a close. I think you'll all agree that these stories are fascinating and I'd like to thank you all for sending them into the show and also for trusting the Haunted UK podcast to tell your tales. So we move on to volume two, which is coming very soon, and it's packed with more creepy content and amazing stories. If you've been inspired whilst listening to this episode to send in your story then please be assured that your content will be treated with the greatest respect. And if, like some of the people who've sent in listener stories, you wish for your identity to be withheld, then that's no problem at all. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK podcast. But before I go, I'd like to give a few shout outs. And the first one is to all of you, the listeners. Thank you so much for following, subscribing, and listening. None of this would be possible without all of you. The show is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Wherever possible, leaving a positive five-star review helps the show in many ways. Listener figures are rising rapidly, and that's all down to you. So, huge thanks to you all. Another shout out goes to the show's sponsor, CDS Print and Design, who have been kind enough to come back for a third season. Huge thanks to both Colin and Debbie. Next up is a request to all you listeners out there again Have you seen a ghost? Witnessed poltergeist activity? Had a strange, unexplained paranormal experience? Have you ever stayed in a haunted location or experienced something frightening on a ghost tour? Even better, do you live or work in a haunted house or building? Have you encountered or seen a UFO? Heard a story about an unsolved disappearance or mystery? Or have you been lucky enough to witness a strange, unknown creature? If you have, then your story could feature on Season 3's Listener Stories finale episode. Simply type your story up and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. It's easy to do, and if you like, you can remain anonymous. Huge thanks in advance to you all. Besides writing, recording, mixing, and mastering this podcast, I also run a mixing and mastering studio called Pink Flamingo Music Productions. If you have a podcast or piece of music that you'd like mixing, mastering or both, or if you'd like a piece of finished music written for a project that you're working on, then please email the studio with details of your inquiry to pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. It's nowhere near as expensive as you'd think. This podcast was recorded at Pink Flamingo Music Production Studio in Hale's Owen in the West Midlands, England. For a full list of research sources that helped immensely with the content of this episode, please refer to the show's notes. Thank you all so much again for listening, and we'll be back very soon with another episode. Until then, stay safe and take care.